0: Hello, ladies and gents, welcome to Dear World, Love, Delilah, the quotable podcast with me, Darcy Lee, a moment meant to motivate, inspire, and empower. And I am super glad that you're here. So if you're joining me because you need the occasional reminder of your pure badassery or innate awesomeness, if you need help silencing that inner critic, getting through a tough day, want to be a part of a community of people who are dedicated to suiting up and showing up fully for their lives or if you just want to be able to, at the end of it all say, I did all I wanted to do with this life, I put it all on the table, I lived this life as fully and authentically and courageously as I could, then welcome, because you, my friend, are in the right place. Every week, I will come here with something fun, fantastic, and authentic for you, whether it be amazing people, some of whom you've heard of because they are amazing out loud, and some that you need to hear of because their remarkable gifts are too good to keep behind the curtain any longer. We may also discuss an incredible book or share a beautiful idea that will help you truly live the life that you want to live. Together we will meet, we will dream, we will learn, and we will laugh. Together we will take this life by the horns and we will live it until the living is done. So, my fellow rock stars, are you ready for an adventure? here's to the journey. I am really excited. Let's do this. Dear world, I'm sending you all the warmth and light. Love, Delilah. In this episode of Dear World, Love Delilah, I have the awesome opportunity to hang out with Emily Flake. For those of you who don't know her, Emily is a freelance cartoonist, writer, illustrator, educator, and performer who lives in Brooklyn, New York. Her work appears regularly in both print and online publications, such as The New Yorker, Mad Magazine, Playboy, The New York Times, and The Nib, just to name a few. She is also the author of Mama Tried, a book of cartoons and essays about parenthood, which you can find on Amazon and you should find it on Amazon because it is freaking hilarious and it is refreshingly relatable. She performs a hybrid of cartoons and stand-up on various stages in and around New York, which I think has got to be so fun, so amazing, uh, and probably a little bit terrifying, but just super cool. And she is also a wife and the mother of the smart, creative, and entertainingly dramatic Miss Tug, the birth of whom inspired Mama Tried. And just she's just a cool rock star of a woman. Emily and I met when we were wee little ones in elementary school. And then we later worked together in the Manchester Public Library. Uh, I had almost forgotten about that time in my life, um, but I've been thinking of it a lot as of late. And I still remember the smell and I I feel the place around me sometimes. I remember flipping through books before shelving them reading zines that were created on the copy machines by two super cool punk rock older girls that worked with us, shout out Sarah and Kim, uh, and using those same copy machines to edit my own art because that's how it was done back then. As kids, Emily and I had a lot in common. we were both super awkward, creative, and bullied from about the time that we became school aged, which I think is a common thread that unifies a lot of nerdy, creative people uh, and we will talk about some of that, I think. So we parted ways, decades passed, and thanks to good old social media, we reconnected via Facebook. Uh, in December of last year, we had the opportunity to meet up when my husband and I spent a few days in the Big Apple, which was super fun. I had already bought her book, and I knew that I needed her on my podcast super happy she said yes. <laughs> and actually, I think her yes was preceded by the F-bomb, which, which brings me to this. Emily is talented, fun, and a fan of creatively enhancing her conversations with four-letter words. I personally don't mind that at all. It makes me laugh and even feel validated in some of my thoughts and feelings. But I wanted to let you know, my lovely listeners, so that you're not caught off guard uh, or in case you have some little ones in the room. In this episode, Emily Flake and I will talk about life, death, difficult lessons learned, persistence, perseverance, and just being yourself. I hope that you enjoy listening to this conversation as much as I am going to enjoy being a part of it. All right. So Emily, welcome to Dear World, Love Delilah, the quotable podcast meant to motivate, inspire, and empower. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing really well. I am super excited to have you here. So thank you so much for making the time. Oh, no, thank you for asking me. I'm so happy to be here. Really exciting. So we are going to talk about a lot. Um, your book, Mom Tried, which let me tell you, I I am a stepmom of three, but I did not have any children, you know, no conception, no birthing, no infant or toddler, um, life. And yet I still, still was able to relate to the book. Um, I laughed out loud several times and, uh, and that for me is a sign of an excellent book. If it's not even completely relevant to me, but I can still connect with it. That's awesome. That's great to hear. so, Emily, what I'd like to do to start, if you don't mind, is just to kind of get a baseline for my listeners. So this is a question I ask everyone that I interview, and it's just so that we can kind of know where we're starting. Are You ready? Okay. Sure. All right. So on a scale of one to 10, how weird are you?
1: Um, I think I'm like a zero. I think I'm like a zero weird. Um, <laughs> I am a very pedestrian (laughs) and uninteresting person, really. Like, there's nothing particularly weird about me. Um, uh (laughs) Like,
0: hearing that from you is so bizarre to me, because to me, first of all, you're like one of those kind of like, I don't know, super cool weird. But I'm gathering that it's because you're like you're weird as you're normal and you don't think it's weird, but (laughs) the reason it made me laugh was because you recently published a cartoon in Playboy of a talking penis. I mean,
1: I didn't say I wasn't lucky.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that to you. That's normal.
1: Um yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's uh okay, it would be weird if I had a talking penis like in my house, but using <laughs> a talking penis to sort of represent um male sexual privilege, I think is totally fair game. Like <laughs>
0: <laughs> No, I would agree that it is absolutely fair or it was it's absolutely fair. Um but, I still think it's weird, but I think it's like that awesome creative like I wanna hang out with you kind of weird Good. so I'm glad that right. like I like you know run screaming kind of weird, oh no, yeah. not at all, not at all Those <laughs> awesome, <are> my- <laughs> okay so now that we have a baseline, um I told uh listeners a little bit about you in the intro, um. And I would definitely love for you to tell me and tell my listeners a little more about you, but I was wondering if you wouldn't mind kind of starting with little you, like what childhood was like growing up? What was, what was life like for little Emily Flake?
1: Um, little me was weird. I was a weird kid. Um, I didn't have a great understanding of things like boundaries or filters. Um, I (laughs) was, I don't know. I was sort of a What's the word I'm looking for? I was kind of a tubby potato of a kid with (laughs) glasses and a series of extremely unfortunate haircuts and (laughs) no real socialization. So yeah, Lily was
0: kind of a shit show. See, and we could absolutely, I mean... First of all, that's why we were friends. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you remember my haircuts, but on my, on my website, on my about me, I have like this little series of pictures from like infancy to, I don't know, last year (laughs) like when my hair was just one bad haircut after another. And I feel like it sort of defines my life.
1: (laughs) Right. (laughs) You were always so pretty though. Like you were tall and cool looking, like, you know, um, I yeah I don't feel as though you had a potato face.
0: Um, <laughs> do you not remember, Emily, what kids called me in school? Did they call you? Did it have anything to do with the <laughs> No, but they called me like horse and horse lips. <laughs> I that's because kids are, kids are terrible. Um
1: Yeah. And probably where we grew up, like not, not racist. So yeah. Um.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure that didn't come into play at all.
1: Yeah. Heavens no.
0: <laughs> okay, so I do love that though. So little Emily was kind of a potato head with glasses. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty and much. How about how about family life? What kind of home did you grow up in? And just as safe as you can be without, you know, I I have right. to be careful not to throw my family under the bus. But. Right, right.
1: I mean, there's pretty much zero chance my parents will listen to this, so I can I can spill all the family dirt. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, um, my parents, my parents, my parents meant well, um, but I don't think they really knew what they were doing either. So yeah, they're, um, I grew up in a fairly like blank household. I feel like, um, they, they have gotten themselves together a little better now over the past like 20 years, I think. Um, but yeah, I don't know. My dad was my dad worked a lot and my my mom was very rageful. <laughs> so uh oh, yeah. so there was that. Um I don't know. We, we were a whole family of angry potatoes. <laughs> I grew up in an angry potato family.
0: <laughs> that we could that could be a movie. Yeah. <laughs> like we need Oh, okay. Well, and I really think, um, just kind of as a side note, like I'm also a creative person. You're obviously a very creative person and like by nature and, um, and you do comedy. And I think that that's sort of a prerequisite.
1: Yeah. Um, no, I, I agree. I feel like if everything is fine when you're growing up, you don't have any reason to like question the world, you know? And I don't, you know, I always kind of hesitate when people ask like, what was it like growing up? Cause my instinct to be like, Oh, it's fine. It's fine. I don't, you know, cause you, I don't, you feel weird complaining about your childhood. If you weren't a kid who was like locked in a closet on the regular or anything like that. But, um, but yeah, if you had like a super awesome loving family and nothing bad ever happened to you, you have no reason to examine the world or your relationship to it because everything's cool. Um, so I don't know, I'm probably ruining my child by giving her a stable loving home.
0: <laughs> oh, don't worry. She'll, she'll find plenty to hate you for <laughs> when I, she's I, in her teens. I'm certain that that is true. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. You know, I'm reading, um, I have an online book club. It's a Facebook club called read, share, Slay book club, which, mm-hmm. you know, cause mm-hmm. you've been there. I have, hung out with I us. have yeah. Book I, I,
1: it's, <laughs> the book is like in my physical collection of tabs. I need to read. I have like a stack of books and, a, and, uh, like whack of tabs of stuff that I need to read and listen to. Um, but, uh, but yeah, sorry. I totally interrupted you.
0: No, no, that's fine. Um, but the only reason I brought it up is because there's one part where she says like, she kind of one day sits there and realizes she's miserable. And then mm-hmm. she starts to feel all this guilt and shame around saying that she's miserable. Cause she's like, who the hell am I to be miserable? Like I'm wealthy. Right. I have three TV shows that I've written and produced. I, you know, have this big home and these awesome kids and like, you know, people who are miserable are people who are like, you know, they're being, uh, they're slaves or they were shot in the face right. or like, you know, like who am I to be miserable? Right. And what you said about childhood I think it's very easy for us to go there and it's definitely a balance, but I feel like we really have to kind of, you know, be authentic and true to ourselves about our interpretation of our childhood and how it has helped mold us. Right. Without Yeah. No, I think that's valid. I think that's totally fair. Yeah. yeah and without comparing it to other people's. Just what is the life of Emily Flake like?
1: Um, Well, my day-to-day is uh, I'm a cartoonist, primarily for The New Yorker, um, but sometimes for Playboy, (laughs) which is why I get to draw talking dicks sometimes. Um, And sometimes for Mad Magazine, I have a a biweekly thing for um, an online place called The Nib. Um so yeah cartoons kind of when and where I can um I'm also a writer um I wrote the aforementioned book um I write essays and I write jokes um I perform stand up on a semi regular basis um kind of a uh, this weird sort of hybrid mix of cartooning and stand up where like I show comics and then kind of like tell funny stories or go into bits um and I'm an illustrator um, pretty much just like straight up illustration. Like they send me a story and I send them some art. So, and yeah, I do, I I wear a lot of hats. Um, you know where I'm from, you know, I grew up in Manchester, Connecticut. I moved to Baltimore, Maryland to go to school. And then I moved to Chicago for four and a half years. And then I moved to New York in January, 2004.
0: All right. And so what was happening for you in those times? Like, I mean, you probably didn't just get out of school and go straight to being a cartoonist for the New Yorker, right?
1: No, no, I sure didn't. Um, when I first got out of school, I mean, I always worked day jobs when I was in school, I delivered pizzas. Um, I worked at, um, I worked at a coffee shop for a long time. you know, I worked at a novelty company that sold like, uh, basically I was a sales rep for a novelty company that sold everything from like, you know, innocuous things like something called smile on a stick to like sex novelties. Um, so those were some fun trade shows. Um, <laughs> and then when I went to Chicago, I, I worked, I worked briefly at a theater. I was a secretary for a few months, which was a disaster. That's like the only job I've ever properly been fired from. Um, <laughs> and I totally deserved it too. Like I showed up, I wish I was on time to work like once. Um, okay. and then I waitressed, um, and then I worked for a record, a record distributor. I was, um, like a sales rep and a buyer and a packer and shipper kind of everybody did everything. Um, and I did that for, for years in Chicago. And then when I moved to New York, I worked I briefly worked as an ad sales rep for um a gay alternative news weekly um which I actually really liked the people that I worked at worked with but I was terrible at selling ads um so kind of right before I was probably going to get fired from that job I got hired at a record distributor called Caroline which is where I met my husband um and I worked there for about a year and a half and I would say maybe six months or so before I quit, I started, you know, all this time I was like kind of slowly building up a client list of like illustration and cartooning places. Um, and before I quit, I took about six months and I lived only off of what I was making off of my freelance work. And I put my day job salary in the bank. So that kind of showed me that I, I could kind of live off what I was doing. And by the time I quit, I had like, you know, a, a nice little pad of money to, you know, fall back on, um, which after I quit, I burned through pretty quickly, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, it showed me that, that the freelance life was, was possible. Um, so I quit day jobs in 2006 and knock wood, have worked for myself ever since.
0: Wow. That's super cool. That's super cool. And did you know, when did you know that that's something that you wanted to do, be able to work, you know, for yourself drawing and and making people laugh?
1: Um, I sort of always knew that I, I, I pretty much always knew that. Um, and I mean, I think I, you know, maybe when I first started going to school, I thought like, you know, I ha- might've had vague notions of like getting a design job or something like that. But I mean, truth be told, I'm not much of a designer. Um, and there are people that are like way, way, way better than that, at that than I am. Um, so it was kind of, I don't know, it was kind of always this or, or waitressing. And I am, I am 1% better at this than I was at waitressing. So, um, <laughs>
0: I, uh, I was a server for years and years and there are still times, you know, you mentioned, I think in mama tried, uh, the dreams about going to school and never getting to first and second Mm -hmm. period. And then like not remembering your schedule and not knowing that a test was coming up. And I still have those stress dreams, but I also still have stress dreams. And I'm talking about like a decade later, I still have stress dreams where I'm weeded, like I'm in the waiting table, you know, yeah, getting drinks. Yeah, I I mean, it's funny. I
1: (laughs) I still have stress dreams like about um about my distributor jobs. Like I'll I'll realize I haven't been to work in forever, or like I'll have volunteered to go back for a while, and then I'll realize like like with this thump that like, Oh no, I just, I work here again.
0: Was there ever a time, um, where you had kind of the freelance idea in mind, but it just kind of seemed out of reach or impossible?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I I remember at some point when I was, when I had was working at Caroline Um, which was not a bad job as day jobs go. I mean, like the pay was, was ludicrously small, but it was a pleasant enough, um, it was a pleasant enough job. But, you know, I, I remember talking to John about like, well, when I am able to quit or whatever. And he's like, you know, he was kind of like, you're not anywhere near being able to like quit and do this as a day job. I'm like, oh, no, I know, I know, but just love it. Um, <laughs> but a girl. Exactly. <laughs> um and you know, there were times when it just felt like, you know, I didn't feel super dedicated to my day job, but I cared about it. But there were times when I felt like, God, I'm not doing a great job at my day job, and I'm kind of spinning my wheels with my with my freelance work and I just felt kind of stuck in between the two and that was an unpleasant feeling. Um but I think you know even more than being able to live off it I just wanted that sense of of validity of like I'm really actually doing a thing. Um and I thought that I would feel that once I was making my entire living off of freelancing and what I didn't realize is that like I would I would never feel that. <laughs> um, that, that's a, that's a real moving target. That sense of, um, of being valid as a, as, as an artist or whatever. Um,
0: but, uh, And why do you think that is? And how do you deal with that?
1: I mean, I just, I don't know why, I don't know why. And I don't know if it's like that for everybody. Um, I mean, I used to think that I was the only person that spent like a lot of time just kind of, you know, sitting in the muck of my own like (laughs) self-loathing, um, and procrastinating and just feeling like, Oh God, this is shit. What am I even doing? But it turns out a, a lot of people feel that way, which is, you know, heartening, I guess. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know why it's, it's, difficult for people to find that sense of validity and, you know, maybe it isn't for, for everybody, but, um, but that's definitely been my, uh,
0: been my experience. Um, well, I, I kind of feel like every artist ever sort of feels that way. Like the way art is looked at in society and that whole kind of collective mentality that it doesn't pay the bills and that whole starting starving artist, Mm -hmm. uh, kind of, I don't know, persona or idea that surrounds art. I feel like everyone feels that way.
1: Yeah. And, you know, even, uh, even if, um, sorry, the cat has entered the room. Hello cat. Um, (laughs) yeah. And I mean, and I, you know, not good. I, I've been paying my bills and rent with this for over a decade, which is crazy lucky, um, as I say this somehow, <laughs> so, but there's always the feeling of like, it could disappear tomorrow and you know, do you really deserve it? Or is this some crazy fluke? Yeah.
0: I don't, I don't really know what that comes from. Have you ever heard of the imposter syndrome? I have. Yeah, And they say that women uh, struggle with that more than men, but just that idea of like, who do you think you are or who are you trying to fool? Um, is that something that you can right. relate to?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's, um, that's uh, 100% something I can relate to. And yeah, I totally believe that it's like women more than men. I mean, I don't remember like where I saw this on Twitter, but there's some kind of thing of like, you know, God give me the confidence of a mediocre white man. Um, (laughs) (laughs)
0: Oh, true story. True story. Yeah. So for those listeners who are sitting here like, oh my gosh, I can totally relate to that. What do you think are some ways or how have you managed um, to kind of succeed beyond that or get past those feelings and those thoughts?
1: Um, well, for one thing, like I can't not work, you know, like no matter how i'm feeling about my work at any given time like i have to do it cuz if i don't we'll have to live on the street <laughs> um so that helps that's motivating right. <laughs> not living on the street is a motivating thing um and you know you asked about quotes and i i have very few quotes that i really uh, come back to, but I have a couple, like there's definitely at least one concept that I come back to a lot. And this is something like I do. I teach every now and again, and this is something that I tell my students. Um, there was this article that I read and I don't remember if it was like the New Yorker or the Times, something like that. Um, but you know, this guy was on vacation with his wife and they went surfing. Um, she got up early in the morning and she went out by herself and she got killed by a wave, um, which is, you know, terrible and he's talking about thinking of how uh, you know when she went cuz waves and I didn't realize this but waves start way further out in the ocean than you know it's not they're not just at the coast they start way far out and they move towards the coast over the course of of hours and hours so he talks about like her you know in sometime in the middle of the night as she slept her wave was forming and then she got up and had breakfast and her wave was coming towards her and then you know she went out and she surfed and she met she met her wave You know, and this idea that like everyone's wave is out there somewhere, you know, if you can just remember that you don't know where that wave is or where, when it's coming, but it's almost sort of peaceful to know that it's out. It makes it seem like less of a big goddamn deal. You know, whatever your problem is that you're working on right then, you know, like I just used to tell my students, just close your eyes and listen for your wave. And try not to think about whether or not you're like, you know, getting this hand drawn exactly right or whether you can figure out this joke. Um, so yeah, I feel like every like inspirational thing that I have read basically boils down to like, fuck it. You're going to die someday. (laughs) (laughs) So let's not get too bogged down in the particulars here.
0: Right. So we can't, like, nobody's getting out of this alive kind of thing. Exactly. And you do talk about that a little bit, uh, in the very end of mama tried. right? Uh, And I thought that was really interesting. And then of course the comic follow me is hilarious. Um, but you just say, like, I think about death all the time, not in a particularly morbid way, just in a way that the idea of death is always there hovering over everything. Yeah. Um, And I think that for some people it is hard to like think about death and kind of have it there without it being morbid. But the truth is that is what makes it like our mortality is what motivates us to get off the couch. Right. Right. Yeah. And I
1: mean, I think that it's, you know, making peace with this idea of impermanence. You know I feel like is i feel like it's an important thing in in art and life you know and i mean i I'm certainly not like at one with the idea <laughs> that all of this ends, you know, but um I feel like either extremes of feelings i i feel like there is a part of me that knows that like you know this isn't gonna last forever um it's and in some ways, I feel like acknowledging that is almost. Like a, it's almost like it. it tra- I feel like I'm trying to like build an insurance over worrying about it too much. You know, just knowing that like that things are impermanent. Um, like writing about that and drawing about it and like almost feels like I am. Uh it's almost like a superstition, like not like if I do that we won't die or anything like that, but that like okay, I've I've acknowledged yeah. that 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 this will happen and hopefully and it's almost like saying,
0: like, I see you here, you yeah. know. When it's so funny because like the wave analogy, for one, I love it. Um but I had a completely different kind of vision of it, and it doesn't contradict, but what I love is that it it definitely kind of holds true to where, what you shared about when we could kind of remember, cause that's what it is. I mean, we all know right. that we're going to die, right? Like there's not really anyone here who thinks that they're going to live forever. Uh, even those who may like dream right. cryo freezing or like vampirism, you know, <laughs> but like for the most part, we all know. Um, and, and a lot of times I think we take this kind of, if you right. ignore it, it'll go away. Mentality toward death, and I think that increases the anxiety mm-hmm. surrounding oh no, absolutely that.
1: absolutely, um, and I think our society is built our society and our culture is, is really there's a a denial of and trying to hide uh death um at pretty much every level you know i mean like this you know maniacal like you know like worship of youth and like um hiding of of, of flaws and aging etc cetera, etc cetera. like we don't have american society doesn't have a way of of coming to grips with death at all oh, god there, jesus i'm forgetting whatever this story was but there was a story of um there are so many sorts of people coming back to life in the bible um, which I feel like gives people sort of a weird false hope that that's like a possible thing and not like, you know, death comes for all of us and,
0: you know, <laughs> okay. right. even like subconsciously. right? Yeah. Um, you had, and you shared on Facebook recently, an excellent comic or cartoon, uh, about a death that truly affected you in high school. mm mm-hmm. Um, do you mind to share a little bit about that? No, no, not at all.
1: Um, so uh, the comic was uh, was about the the sort of uh, unexpected. Grief that I felt seeing a, a band that I was a huge fan of in high school play again after like I mean they they had a 21-year hiatus, so it had been quite some time. And just how the the immediate like time capsuleness of of that music really brought me back to um to being in high school. Um and yeah, my uh my high school boyfriend, I dated him for like two and a half years. Uh, his name was Harold Murray. Um, and You know, we broke up and then like we, we, you know, we still, we remained friends and we talked and, um, and everything. And then, uh, like just after I graduated college, um, he had gone, he had moved out to California and then he moved back in and he was like living with his mom again. he called and we talked for hours and we had this whole long conversation. And then like, you know, a few days later, uh, he hung himself. Um, and yeah, that was, um, that was, that was, <laughs> it's funny thinking back on it now. Cause he was, um, he was a couple years older than me. Um, I was, gosh, I think I had just turned 22. So he was like 24 and a half, maybe, um, when he killed himself. And just the idea that like he never got to be 30, like he doesn't, he does he has no idea what 30 was like or 40 or, or anything. He didn't have kids. He didn't, you know, um, like he's sort of frozen in time in a, in this in this very weird way. I feel like the hardest thing about that was like I mean his he was his mom's only son. Um and like the her grief at the funeral was like the were like the the saddest thing I'd ever seen. Um up to that point. And yeah, I don't know. It's sad. There's so much <laughs> he's missed a lot. He'll miss more.
0: Yeah. I was, I was thinking like I got sober at 25, like my life really kind of just began right. at 25. Right. Uh, and, and of course we show our age cause we're like, gosh, that's yeah. so young. <laughs> you know? But I mean, it really, yeah. really is you know. in retrospect. There's so much a baby, left. a mere baby yeah yeah so also um just real quick before we kind of move on another thing that i love about the wave the wave analogy is that even kind of aside from death like this idea of flow or say fate or however kind of people want to look at it. I don't believe in fate per se. Like I believe we kind of, um, create the world around us to an extent. Um, but I do love that idea that our wave and it can be uh, professional success or personal success, or just kind of, you know, I feel like I've lived a dozen lives in this one lifetime. Um, but that new opening or that new door, uh, it starts long before it ever reaches us. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah.
1: Well, and I mean, it takes it out of your hands a little bit, not in a passive way, just in a way to understand that, you know, in, in the sweep of time and space, this isn't so significant that you have to like, you know, kill yourself worrying about over this stuff. Um, and I think that's a, Just being able to pull yourself out of the out of the spiral of of you know the the awful significance of anything that's going on at any given
0: time, I think is is helpful. Absolutely, absolutely. So, what would you say uh, is one of the biggest challenges that you personally have had to overcome to be where you are today? And that can be professionally or personally. um, But just kind of, what do you think? stands out to you as a most significant challenge. And then of course, how did you get to the other side of that?
1: Um, I fall down a lot of distraction holes and I fall down a lot of like, you know, like we've been saying, like a lot of just like, of, you know, comparing my work to other people holes and just feeling generally shitty about thing holes like that. And that, that, def- that hasn't gone away. um, that's just kind of how my work day is. And, um, yeah, I would say that's not like a challenge I've gotten over as like a challenge. I sort of have, I don't know, cause I want to say succeeded in spite of it. Maybe I've succeeded because of it. Maybe that, maybe that sort of thing is integral to my brand. Um, <laughs> but, uh,
0: but I mean, I don't think that that's crazy. Like, I think that our challenges and our struggles, I think that they absolutely define us um, in positive ways. I mean, we Mm -hmm. focus on the negative ways that we feel things can define us, Mm -hmm. you know, difficulties, challenges, but when we get real honest, you know, a lot of our growth and a lot of the things that we can later be proud of are things that grew from struggle.
1: Oh, for sure. For sure. I was, I was talking with a, a friend of mine about this today, actually. Um, and cause we were talking about comedy and like, I never want, you know, I don't know. I always feel a little weird being like, you know, I got teased a lot as a kid and it was hard. <laughs> you know, cause it, you know, uh, it just feels like a, you know, the world's Chinese violin, whatever. Um, but you know, in a lot of ways, um, I mean, I I, I downplay that because I feel like I don't want to sound too whiny, but I don't know. Like, people who had super happy childhoods don't end up going into comedy because they never have to. <laughs> like, <Yes. laughs> you know, they never have to see the world from a different perspective because it all, has always looked great to them. Um, and I think that, you know, learning that learning how to laugh through a hard time and learning that that helps other people too, I think is a really important thing for anybody who, who goes into, um, you know, into the comedic dark arts, so to speak. (laughs) Absolutely. Any, Oh, um, go ahead. Sorry. sorry, I mean, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it now. You know, I would have then, um, yeah, I don't know. Things, things, things really sucked until so I was like maybe 14 and then got slowly better. And then I left. Um, and yeah, again, I just, but I wouldn't, but in retrospect, I, I feel like those are the things that, you know, made me who I am now. And
0: I, I, you know, I can't complain. Right. Right. Absolutely. Like I think about that. Um, Because if people were to know me now, they probably wouldn't know that I got picked on like brutally picked on from the time that I was in fourth grade until I was like a junior really? in high school. And I'm talking about like rumors and just going home crying and, and hating my clothes and hating, you know, for my big lips and my nappy hair. And I mean, <laughs> there was nothing about me that was not kind of called to the stage in a right. real negative way as a right. kid. I mean, weren't um, there little shits in our town? no <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, I feel every like there are those in every town. Ugh. Yeah, ah, and but you know, just like you said, in retrospect, I mean, it shaped not only did it shape some of the things about me that I'm most proud of, which is that like I grew to be an empathetic person and I grew to like, not really give a damn what people think right. and to really embrace those things. And that's one reason I ask like on a scale of one to 10, because there are definitely times where I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm so weird, but I love it. And I'm grateful for it. Yeah. And I would not give up. Yeah. Um, and a couple of things. One, I look back on the people who were terrible to me mm-hmm. in school and um most of them I, it's not that I wish unhappiness on them because in all honesty, if I saw them on the street, I would smile and I'm not angry. I'm not but you know, their life was not easy either. Yeah. They had different struggles yeah. that I would not want.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. I, mean, um, I um you know I haven't been mad at the people who were shitty to me in a long time. Um, and yeah, and now we are all adults and we've all had our own struggles and we've all, you know, and, um, and the people that were the worst to me, I mean, like, were the, like, it was worse, the worst when I was like, you know, like maybe nine to 11 and those are still, those are still kids. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so I, I, it, it took me much longer it's funny cause I'm actually going to be working, uh, being, I'm working on a comic that kind of addresses some of this stuff. Um, but like it took me a lot longer to forgive myself for having been bullied than it took me to forgive, to not be mad at them anymore. Um, for bullying
0: me, if that makes sense. Um, well, two things, one, everything that I got picked on for as a kid are things that people love about me as an adult. Right. Um, big lips turned into full lips. You know what I mean? Like do that type of stuff, but also I'm really grateful that I got to this place of being able to understand, like recognize and understand that hurt people hurt people. Right. And that they, and again, this is not a positive, like, I'm not glad for this. It just helps me to understand that it was never about me. Like, their pick on me was about them. And that's true. Now as adults, as the people that lash out, uh, and try to hurt other people, it's out of hurt, it's out of fear. And it's not about me. Like haters going to (laughs) hate that's on them. Yeah, no,
1: absolutely. And I mean, I feel like people try to, you know, uh, I I feel like some people tried to impart that message to me as a child. Like, well, you don't know, like, if something's going on, and they're like, blah blah. And I remember thinking, like, now I, what? I have to feel
0: pity for these assholes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> so, guilt, <laughs> sadness, and then pity yeah, too.
1: Great, <laughs> um, but I totally get that now as as an adult. You know, and I wouldn't I wouldn't go back. And trade a happy childhood for a mediocre adulthood. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, so so I don't know. Um and yet at the same time, like I want I I don't want these things to happen to my kid because it sucked. <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> yes. oh my gosh. Like when my daughter comes home upset, she's 12. Um mm-hmm. uh, and her kind of 10 year like her age 10 year was really hard right. for her. And I mean, it is heartbreaking. You want so much to be able to say like, no, it's not about you. It's about them. They suck. Yeah. Like, But it does not matter in that moment at that age. And it's like, I never thought I'd want to put my hands on other people's right. kids. Absolutely. <laughs> like,
1: absolutely. I mean, and yeah, and part of me just wants to be like, fuck those kids. Fuck those kids. Anybody does anything to hit them. Hit them hard as you can.
0: Like, like that's not good parenting. Um, <laughs> no, but I can totally yeah. really. And then, <laughs> but instead of doing and saying right. that, <laughs> what what I do is first I have to tell myself, but you know, she is like intelligent and creative and adorable. And you know what? Quirky, like quirky as hell. And I try to just really, um, kind of encourage her in that, like, this, you know, of course her idea, um, early on was like to change, right. to change so that people would like her. And it's like, no, because all these things that these kids don't right. like about you, they are the things that are going to give you the most amazing and fabulous and fulfilling creative life. Right. You know? Exactly. Um, but it's it's hard to hear as a kid. It just doesn't You're make
1: awesome. sense. They will be your strengths. I swear to God. Yes, yes,
0: yes. And then we just have to kind of wait and hope that when they're in their twenties, like they get it. You know, that light bulb goes off and they're like, oh, All right. All yeah, right. yeah. So Emily, what? Um, how about what are three adjectives that you would use to describe your journey to where you are today?
1: Oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> um, hmm. Hapless, lucky, and obstinate.
0: <laughs> All right. All right. Um, are there any of those that you would like to focus on or elaborate on? Um,
1: well, in a lot of ways, I feel like, I mean... I always, I always knew what I wanted to do, but like, you know, I don't consider myself like, you know, like I said, I am super procrastinating and super easily distracted. And like people who are like super, super driven, like I admire that single-minded focus and have never been able to replicate it in myself. Um, so you know, but I always knew what I wanted to do and that there really wasn't anything else that I could do. So I just kind of plodded along, refusing to give up, you know, um, you know, not in a way of like, I'm going to be awesome someday, but in a way of like, there is literally nothing else that I can do. Uh, (laughs) And it is time to make the comedy dots. But, and also, um, you know, I, I remember saying to my best friend in college that I felt lucky that I, I knew, you know, that even when I was a kid, like I knew I wanted to be a cartoonist. I, you know, um, I knew I wanted to, to do, I knew I wanted to draw. I knew I wanted to write. Um, and, uh, and that I felt lucky that i I wasn't still casting about for what I wanted to do. Um, and in the great scheme of things, you know, it didn't take me, it didn't take me my whole life to like, to be able to quit the day job, you know? And I mean, again, this, you know, this could all go away tomorrow and I could be looking for waitressing. Um, and then no one will hire me cause I'm too old. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, I definitely, I, when I say hapless, I just, I mean that like, I don't feel like I had like a general's eye of like, this is how we're going to do this, you know? Um, right. And, and, you know, I mean, I, I had some very fumbly years in there, especially when I moved to Chicago, you know, I mean, I was working a day job that paid me enough to live, you know, I had, you know, I had a, a circle of friends that I liked and, um, you know, I'm grateful for those years because I, uh, I needed them in a lot of ways. Um, I don't think I would, I don't think things would have turned out for, very well for me if I had moved right to New York. Cause even, even in 1999, when I graduated college, it was still very expensive. You know, like I, 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 I couldn't have afforded it and I needed a couple, I couldn't have afforded to have my fuck up years in New York. Like, So having, you know, having my fuck up years in Chicago, I think was good in a lot of ways. Um, and, and yeah, so, and I guess the obstinate part of it just comes in, in that, in that, you know, like, like I said, just, I'm, I'm going to keep plugging away at this. (laughs) Um, and lucky in that, you know, I do do a lot of different things. And in some ways I feel like I don't really deserve the successes that I've had in these things because I've sort of used one to springboard from the other, instead of like, you know, taking every single step along one specific path. Um, and you know, I've been, I've been very lucky with that. When I first actually started doing stuff on stage, um, You know, I I did these basically the same thing I'm doing now, kind of like showing comics and and telling jokes. And at the time I was like, oh, maybe this will get me like some illustration gigs. And it wasn't until like years later, I'm like, no, maybe you do this because it's awesome. Like maybe more. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I was was on some nights, you know, in like the mid 2000s, I now realize like, I'm like, that was actually a much bigger deal than I thought it was at the time, you know, and I really should have been like focusing more on that. Um, you know, but that, that said, I feel like, you know, um, there's still, there's still a lot of things that I like to do and a lot of things that I want to do. And I'm really lucky to be
0: able to do any of them at all. Um, so Yeah. And speaking of that, did you not just recently have the opportunity to do something amazing with Jawbreaker? Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's the band that I did the comic about. And, um, they played three nights in Brooklyn, um, and they had a comedian open, um, for each of the nights. So I, I did, I did 20 minutes um opening for <laughs> which was uh that was that was a super awesome experience <laughs> like
0: right and is that something you ever like imagined or thought about oh god not at all i mean especially like when
1: i you know, when i was like the biggest fan in high school like you know if you had told me i would be on a stage doing something like i wouldn't i'd be like back up to like wait what am i doing on a stage like (laughs) how is that a thing um and yeah no i really could not have possibly begun to formulate a future in which that would be a possible thing um
0: and yeah um and yeah that is super cool. Well, I have, okay. I have one more question before I get to kind of the speed round. Okay. Um, and it's, you know, it's about kind of your creativity. Uh, you mentioned several times on how, you know, your livelihood depends on you being creative. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with that, I mean, On the one hand, it could be pressure, it could be motivation, but how, how do you do it? I mean, do you, do these cartoons like come to you in your dreams? Is there a process? Do you turn on a certain song? Like what gets you to that place of consistently creating like amazing cartoons, great content. How do you get there?
1: Um, I mean, I just kinda I sit down and kind of plug away at it and like, you know, I just sometimes it helps just to write stuff down and like, you know, this sounds kind of foofy, but just like free associate. Um, I, you know, I'll pick a concept and just like write down everything I know about it and then start like um tweaking the settings on the things that I know, like what happens if I like you know, exaggerate or lie about it. What's the opposite of something, et cetera, et cetera. And just kind of see what comes up. And often I'll do like these exercises or sit down to write and like nothing will happen. And then I'll get up and go do something else. And something will like come to me. It's kind of like, I, pre- I feel like you have to sort of prepare the runway. And sometimes the plane doesn't show up until like hours later, but if you hadn't prepared the runway, it might not have ever come at all. Like, You just, you know, you have to sort of, you know, wave your arms hoping for the, for the muse. (laughs) But, uh, and a lot of times, like I'll find ideas come to me when I'm doing something like a task that occupies my hands, but not my mind. Like, um, I have a lot of thoughts washing dishes. Um, I've heard that before. (laughs) And yeah, you know, honestly, because it like, um, I'll sit there and just sort of be having conversations with myself because it's one of the things that yeah I do. It's a mindless task where I can't look at my phone cause I'll ruin it. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, like the shower and washing dishes are two good places to just kind of like let your mind wander. Um, letting it wander online really doesn't do much good.
0: It's like, not really wandering. It's like constant distraction from wandering.
1: Exactly. exactly you know, and you know, you kind of, you have to keep abreast of what's going on because you need to be able to make like culturally relevant jokes. But at the same time, it's like, sometimes you're just shoveling garbage into your brain for hours and hours and hours. And like, and yeah, it's, it's, it's totally addictive.
0: Um, yeah, but, uh, but so, yeah. Like with all your work, what do you, what, do you have any hopes for kind of what your work provides or what people might experience when they see it or read it or hear it? Um,
1: you know, when I've gotten, you know, emails or messages from people that, that tell me that like something I did really like resonated with them and made them feel understood in the world, like that makes me feel better than anything else. Like, um, I feel like if there's one thing that I really hope I'm good at, it's like help, like, you know, like letting people laugh and helping them through something through like a tricky emotion or a difficult time. Um, I feel like one of the nicest things anyone ever said about me was uh, my friend, Tim, who's also a cartoonist said that, like, that, that my, my work had like, um, you know, had an empathetic heart to it. And I thought Mm -hmm. that that was, you know, I (laughs) I was like, that's the nicest thing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I Um, will say that like one thing that I really enjoy about your work is that, you say the things that people are thinking, uh, but they might have some fear around saying it. And so it gives people permission to, to kind of have these thoughts and these ideas and and even sometimes to like to say them out loud, even though there's this huge part of them that's like that's not appropriate or that's not you know but you give right. permission you're like you are not the only one that wants to like cuss out that person for judging me about letting my kid go down this slide right. like at first <laughs> you
1: know? well thank you. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I really, and I think that's one reason, even though I've never had infants and toddlers. And I think that's one reason I really, uh, kind of the book resonated with me was because we, I don't know that exact experience, but I do know what it's like to be judged. You know, I do know what it's like to get that kind of stink eye from somebody, you know, and, and I feel like that's what connects us. And we forget that it's not so much our experiences of situations or occurrences that connects us. It's how we feel about things that connects us. Yeah. Um, yeah for sure. I really appreciate that about your work. Is it, it, it tells even me who, who didn't have those experiences that I'm not alone.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, not feeling alone, I feel like is, you know, is one of the things I most hope you know, people can get out of my work. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I actually, I found that the quote that my friend, uh, Tim wrote, which is, uh, no matter how tough and jaded and wisecracking it wants to seem, Emily Flake's work is secretly soft-hearted and sad, full of a rueful fondness for our bottomless genius for self-defeat. I was like, oh, that again, like, yeah,
0: like that's kind of goosebump worthy. Yeah. Yeah. That made me feel really, really good. That is awesome. (laughs) Um, okay. So a few last questions, uh, what is one thing that you wish someone, anyone had told 10-year-old you or 13-year-old you about like anything it could be life love sex being a woman but just one thing that you yeah. wish someone had told you or prepared you for
1: um fuck them <laughs> i wish they
0: <laughs> yes and we're just going to go with that <laughs> yeah <laughs> no that's awesome and you're right man absolutely yeah um yeah okay that's the lesson that would have been happily learn, learned right? a little earlier in my life. I really and and while others might use different language, <laughs> it's just really that yeah. whole of like, you know, you can't. We well, there's no way we'll ever please everybody. Ever, it's literally yeah. impossible. So, yeah, do you and just, yeah, let else do them.
1: And you know what, you can you can feel like that and still be a kind person. You know, it's just like you don't. You don't have to, you don't have to take shit from people, you know, uh, and you don't have, but you don't have to be a dick about it. I'm not cussing. I'm just cussing too much. I'm sorry. Okay. I, I, I thought,
0: probably okay. will put a warning in the front of the podcast, yeah. but I, I absolutely expected it. Um, um, so it's... Look, I made, I made this guy that
1: I worked with at Domino's blush, you know, and I'm like, you know, I'm making Dave blush. Really. <laughs>
0: I've, I personally find it refreshing and I was even thinking about right. that honestly because you know I'm doing this podcast I'm sort of um, in a sense like building a brand you know what do I want for people um, what do I want to offer and you know the truth is like if somebody is offended by your language then they can move on um, maybe right. they'll even just move on to a different episode that doesn't have a language but ultimately again right people are thinking it like they may not say it out loud, but they're thinking it and you know, just. And Hey, look, I haven't dropped the C bomb once. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I was kind of waiting there for is. it <laughs> and I do appreciate it. You're so I'll um, do my best. Yeah. But <laughs> I mean, what it comes down to honestly, for me is like, I want I mean, this is one reason I wanted to interview. I sat through, I mean, I read through your book in two sittings. Like I just found it fun and hilarious. And there were definitely times that I put my hand over my mouth when you said something. You're like, oh my God, no, she didn't. Um, But just super grateful that you did. So it's cool. I'll put like a little bit of a warning on the podcast. But, you know, people can put their own beeps there if they want. Right. (laughs) All right, let's see. Two more questions. You already talked about the quote thing about not really having one, having that concept, which I really enjoyed. Uh, so, two more questions. One: What is your superpower?
1: Oh, sleep! I can sleep anywhere.
0: <laughs> Does that come in handy on like the New York on the subway?
1: Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> handy, dangerous. It's all the same thing. <laughs>
0: All right. And one more, which you might've already said it, but it's a different phrasing of a question. So if you had a microphone that reached every corner of the earth, like every nook and cranny, every single person, um, translate in their language, no barriers. Mm -hmm. What is the message that you would want to send out? (sighs)
1: just be kind, (laughs) Mm. be kind, you know, like be kind to yourself, be kind to others. Um, and yeah, you know, one thing I'll say about, about churches, I feel like it really boils down to like, I feel like the central tenet is like, you know, um, love God and our neighbors and our, as ourselves. (laughs) And that's, um, yeah, just be kind and love one another.
0: Um, cause you never know. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Emily, thank you so much for making this time. I know that you've got the hubby and you've got the little one who keeps your, keeps you on your toes, keeps you busy. So right. I really do appreciate you making this time.
1: It was an absolute
0: pleasure. Thank you so much for asking me. Awesome. Well, hopefully we will talk again. And in the meantime, stay awesome. (laughs) You too. Thank you so much. All right. Ah, that was so fun. So fun. Um, yeah, I am ridiculously grateful to people like Emily, to the people in this world who just really set out to bring laughter to the lives of others. It is not an easy job, right? And, and as Emily mentioned, it's a job that is often rooted in the need to bring joy and light to what are, or may have been some really dark and difficult times. Times or scary and discouraging times at best. Uh, and I even just keep in mind our political climate right now. You know, we need comedy. We need people who can make light of just some really heavy things. Uh, it's so awesome and it's a service. So yeah, I hope that you enjoyed that. I hope that you got something from it that you can take with you into what is to come with hope and confidence uh, and laughter. If you want more of Emily, and of course you do, I mean, she draws cartoons of talking penises to address the topic of consent. You know, she posts pics on Instagram of her daughter eating a donut almost literally bigger than her head. She's onto something. Um, so if you want more of Emily, you can find her at emilyflake.com. She's also on Twitter and Instagram. Her Twitter handle is at Emily Flake, And in the world of Instagram, she is at e Flake a Go. go. Uh, and you want to make sure to check out her social media and keep up with her social media and with mine, because pretty soon we're going to be giving you the opportunity to win a personalized autographed copy of Mama Tried, which kind of makes me jelly, really, because my copy is not even Uh, i hope that sounds good to you (sighs) all right friends here is where we will end this episode of dear world love delilah thank you so so much for being here i will say it today and i will say it every single episode you are the reason i do this and you are the reason that i get to do this i'm having so much fun here and i'm really really grateful to be able to spend this time with you Seriously, thank you for this, for all the love that you give me between episodes each week, the emails, the Facebook messages, the love that you give me on social media, and the reviews that you leave on iTunes. You guys are rock stars, and I am just super happy that I get to be in the band. So with that, if you did like this episode, if you feel like it had bits of juicy, yummy goodness that can help someone you know or someone you care about, then I hope you will take a moment to share it on Facebook or on Instagram. And then maybe even take another moment to leave a review on iTunes. All that stuff makes a huge difference in what I'm able to offer you from week to week. And it really only takes seconds, literally seconds to do this from your phone or tablet right now. So please, just remember, sharing is caring. Also, if you haven't gotten your hands on my free 15-page ebook that can help you take some really small steps to making some big awesome changes in your life, then you need to go get that. It is free, it's fun, and it is found at darcylee.com. Plus, I am developing my new fancy online coaching subscription called Mini Blueprint to Being, and it's only going to be, wait for it, $6 a month. Let that sink in for a second. We're talking about the price of a Little Caesars Extra Most Vested Pizza with all of its yummy goodness and convenience, but without any of the feeling you feel when you've had too much of it. And the first month is going to be on me. So basically, I'm going to be giving you killer tips, tricks, resources, and support as you embark on a personalized journey of self-love, personal growth, and improving how you feel about who you are and the life you're living. And I'm also pretty much buying you a pizza. I mean, how can it get much better than that? With the mini blueprint to being subscription, you'll get a ton of treats, monthly reflections, and goal inspiration. You'll get writing prompts, mini podcasts, videos, great information and resources on the topic of the month, as well as coupons on cool life, love, and self-care goodies. You'll also get rockstar swag, like a legit personalized care package from yours truly and discounted access to one of many of my upcoming programs and courses. Yeah, so all of that for only $6 a month after you get the first month on me. And of course, you can cancel anytime you want, but you won't want to because it's gonna be epic. Just saying, I promise. If you want to know more about IT or if you have any specific topics or struggles you would like to see addressed in the subscription, You can stay tuned, or you can even shoot me an email at hello at DarcyLee.com. Anywho, before signing off, I want to give a special thanks to my badass executive producer, Wayne Renbure, without whom I'd be lost, and I want to thank you one more time for being here. I truly hope that you've got something that you needed, and I cannot wait to be here with you again next week. So, with that, dear world, I am sending so many hugs and kisses. Love, Delilah.